Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. You know, we have never had more access to a higher volume of data in helping us make business decisions than ever before. But there is a real cost to making bad decisions. Either you've got faulty uh, data or maybe you're not interpreting and utilizing the data properly. Either way, there's a huge financial cost, according to Gartner Research, the average financial impact of poor data quality on organizations is $9.7 million per year. IBM also looked into this. They discovered that in the United States alone, businesses lose, get this, $3.1 trillion annually due to poor data quality. So it's important to get the quality of data. It's important to interpret it and make really sound decisions. And we're going to talk to an expert who knows all about getting the most from data. Peter Schaefer is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Everest Communications. Everest is a digital communications firm that provides counsel and program execution support to companies in the areas of analytics, social media strategy, and digital reputation repair. Peter believes strongly that context and content and collaboration are the keys to success in today's competitive digital environment. And he's worked at very prestigious polling organizations, you heard of them, Gallup and Harris, as well as large global PR firms. He's very well suited to shed light on how we can use data effectively in vastly improving our digital marketing efforts. Peter, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks for the great introduction, Dan. Glad to be with you this morning. So your career has been shaped by this world of polling, research, analytics, it's data, what drove your original focus to head in that direction? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I have always had a curiosity about what motivates people, what drives them, and, and how their thoughts and feelings and behaviors all come together. Um, and, and then to quantify that, I had actually started uh, in college studying political science and voting patterns. Um, so I've always liked to you know, that, that aspect of assigning a number to a particular behavior or a particular thought or feeling. Um, and also, uh, I've always loved puzzles, and there is no better puzzle to figure out than data and data science right now, because there's just so much of it, and there's so many different places that you can access data. So it, it you know, it, 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 it fulfills my need to solve these puzzles. So <laughs> we, we are living the ultimate jigsaw puzzle right now, Peter. I mean, <laughs> yes, we are. The pieces are everywhere. We're just trying to put them together. But we have all of this volume of data. But what really makes it so hard for companies to develop an effective data collection and analytics strategy? Yeah, I think first is that you just mentioned it. The, there's such an overwhelming amount of data that oftentimes just getting a starting point um, becomes uh, difficult for different organizations and, and even different groups to start looking at data because there's just, there, there's so many options out there. Um, the second is that 
most everybody, and, and especially business managers, are really not trained to deal with these different types of data. So you're now asking people that don't have a great deal of experience in this area to, to basically create a structure and a strategy around how we collect, how we analyze, how we implement and interpret data um, into our day-to-day lives. So there's a lot of kind of stumbling around just because of that. Um, And then the third, and this is more of a corporate culture issue, is that in each organization, if uh, different groups own different types of data, so that collaboration and that sharing um, oftentimes becomes a, a struggle just because of the who owns what and where that has housed. So um, those three forces, I think, are, are really stymieing people making progress in using data for insights and using data in a, in a more effective way. Yeah, and one of the things you talked about, and I would think this would have a profound impact in terms of our academic institutions of them really needing to evolve, which is how do you provide the right kind of training you know, for that next generation of workers to have that right Skill sets, um, because uh, marketing, I've talked to other guests on this podcast, it's really evolved, isn't it, to where there's much more science uh, than ever before involved in being effective. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I kind of joke about this with my colleagues and, and my clients is that, you know, everybody took an intro to statistics class, you know, either in high school or college or in, in some, you know, some area. And that, that's about where our training has stopped. But the evolution of data science and the mathematics behind it, you know, whether it's through logarithms or whether it's through artificial intelligence or, or even, you know, just, um, you know, polling information and research, it, uh, it it has evolved so rapidly and so quickly that I don't think, you know, most managers in, in haven't been able to keep up. Yeah, no doubt. And of course, we've seen the emergence of digital marketing. Uh, we're, we're doing uh, marketing, we're executing in an entirely different way. We're using technology so much more. What kind of impact have you seen that have in developing impactful and effective research plans? It really has transformed the way companies and, and organizations develop insights. Um, you know, even just 10 years ago, it used to be, hey, let's do a survey to figure out customer sentiment or let's do a survey to figure out how we're doing against our competitors in the marketplace. So that was the default position. But but now a survey is only one part of or, or surveying is only one part of this whole data dynamic. And we have the capability to access Everything from transactional data to behavioral data to sentiment analysis, um, and and you know then you have opinion data from public polling, um, observational data that we're seeing you know, ourselves within the marketplace. So you you have all these different data points, um, and trying to piece them together becomes a little bit more of a challenge. And I think that's the that's the side is that the availability of data has become so ubiquitous that in it in some cases we are um, either flooded by it and, and can't work from there or we are in constant search mode for those right pieces of data so it has really changed our thought process um, and and you know I think even to a certain degree a lot of senior leadership teams are, are now at the point where um, unless there really is clear data or less, unless they are able to access, um, you know, data that can help them make a decision, um, they're less or they're more reliant on that data and they're less confident in a decision that might not have as much data behind it. Uh, and that's a big change. Definitely is. And you mentioned behavioral science and 
as someone who's been out and really just focused on surveys and and feedback and kind of the evolving predictive aspects of that, we also know, don't we, that what people say and what they actually end up doing sometimes can be very different. Certainly in the political realm, you've probably seen that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's one of the amazing parts of how the data science and the data collection have evolved is that you can now actually match up stated opinion versus actual behavior and see what and where and 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 how that evolved. Um, I worked on a project a couple of years ago when geofencing um, started and geofencing is just the ability to uh, surround a certain geographic area and look at all of the data that's coming out of that particular um, that particular area. And I was working with a retailer and they were able to determine of the people that they were tracking who would go to the retail store during, you know, morning hours, who would go during lunchtime, who would go and, and what those traffic patterns were. And it was a very interesting um, uh, set of data. And you know, at the end of the project, we all kind of looked at each other and said, maybe this is a little bit more big brother than we hoped it would be. But all that, all that data was available. So you're right. It, it, has, it has made, it, made, uh, made some of the issues a little bit more, uh, more interesting to follow. Well, and where we as leaders really want to be is we want to be able to just deeply and accurately interpret so that we can make meaningful action. What have you found are the keys in making that happen? You know, it, it, I, I think it really comes down to a couple very simple principles. Um, and, and I think number one is you need to recognize that data is an asset. It's not just a static uh piece of information. There is value to it. And that if you look at it as an asset, um, you're going to acknowledge that there is an importance to it, that there is a value to it, and that you are able then to use it in a productive way. Um, the second is you know, asking that real simple question, do we have the right types of data to help us with our insights? And oftentimes, that's where the first stumbling block is hit, is that organizations and, and leaders are not, they don't have the right data and to make the decision. And then they use convenient sources of data then to make the decision. And oftentimes that's where that cost that you mentioned at the outset really does get, uh, you know, somewhat impactful is that, you know, you're using the wrong types of data to answer maybe the right question. Um, One of the other aspects is that um, we look at we're not asking the right questions to get the data itself. And oftentimes we try to think about it um, in more of a survey type approach where we're writing these questions where it's a one to five scale or things like that. And oftentimes just asking the right question is, is more important than trying to create that you know, perfect question that's going to give us the metric that we want. Um, and, and a lot of the questions that we're, that we get asked as leaders in companies, and, and I know you're in this position as well, is that there is no one simple data point or simple sets of data points to actually solve that that problem. Some of these questions are looking at, you know, future strategy and things, and and oftentimes there's just not the you know that much data that is going to be helpful. So you begin to try to piece things together, um, and then finally, one of the things that that I, I 
preach to my clients all the time is to make certain that they have as clear an outcome as possible of what they want the insight to say. Um, back when I was working at Gallup and, and Harris and things, one of the things we would ask clients to do before they started collecting data was to write a draft headline of what they would like the story to look like or what they would like you know, the, 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 the data to say so that we had an idea of not only how to structure the questions, but then who also to talk to and then what to be looking for when the data came back. Um, and it was it was also a, a good exercise in kind of being a devil's advocate to the client to say, and is that really what you want? Is that really going to be that important to you? And, and then finally, are you going to be able to actually make a decision off of that? And I think oftentimes we, we skip all those steps and just say, which we need to get as much data as we can and then and then hope that there's some clarity that, that comes out of all that that data. Yeah, that's really interesting, that visualization exercise you're talking about. I could see where that really would make a difference. And, and and I'm sure you've seen, and I've seen it in organizations back to that point of the temptation to want to take some shortcuts yeah. to kind of just get to a decision. Does ego come into play? Like like it's, it's almost a badge of honor. I don't want to say that I don't have the information. So I have this pressure to have to get to a decision. Yeah, that's a great point, Dan. And I, and I think the, the, the ego part plus the pressure part begins to I, I have a very strange effect on managers and leaders and, and how they start making their decisions. And you know, we we talk about this a lot in uh, in just the data collection side of it. Is that are you reacting or are you responding? Because the response part of it is is a much more thoughtful approach than just kind of a reaction. And I think what happens is is that somebody will ask a question. Oh, we got to go run and get data for this. And somebody, um, and 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 somebody goes and gets the data, um, and they're hoping that the leader embraces it, and because it's really, you know, like you said, um, supporting their worldview or they're supporting their ego of, of whatever they 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 adopt the data without really a lot of questioning. So it, I think I think you're right. It is, um, and nobody wants to admit that they don't know what's going on with some of this. But I I, I do think, um, you know that that. We are so reliant now on point in time data versus period of time data that we will make a decision based on just that one point in time that, that could have a ripple effect on, on strategy, on, on tactics, on a lot of different things. Yeah. Now, we have talked already about huge financial implications of having bad data or making a misinterpretation, but... Peter, what do you see as some of the other significant costs to organizations or impacts in relying on misinformation or, or bad analytics? Yeah, I, one of which, and I know we don't talk about this a lot, um, it does have some cultural consequences for an organization um, because, as you mentioned earlier, you know you want to think you're working on a winning team. You want to think about that that you, or feel like you're working on a winning team, or that you guys are making better decisions and and that you're doing better than the competition and things. And I think psychologically, not making or not having. Uh, the data to make some of those good decisions does kind of start make you start to make you think about whether or not our culture is actually set up to make good decisions. Um, the second is that there is an enormous amount of waste that goes on budget-wise across the organization just because we didn't get the right audience, we didn't get the right segment, we didn't get the right data. Um, you know, and and these studies and and these projects cost you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so you, there's that 
you know, kind of marketing and advertising waste part of it. Um, and the third part, and I, I don't think we've explored this as much as we should have um, as, as, a, as, as leaders, and that is the impact that data has on both client retention and client churn. Um, because in so many cases, we are making decisions based and based on these data um, but we're not looking at the next level implications for a particular you know set of clients so for example one of the most obvious uses of data is pricing of products and services and you're watching how the market reacts to different uh, stimuli and different, you know, no. changes in prices and things like that. Um, but nobody says, well, if I raise my, you know, uh, price by $10 or 10 cents or 10% or whatever it is, you know, how many clients am I going to save or how many clients am I going to lose because of it? So that's, that's one area. I think that the quantification part is maybe more apparent, but it's not being used as much in terms of, of overall churn rates and things like that. Um, and then obviously, you know, just the, the delays of making decisions these days has uh, both a financial cost, but also, a, again, a cultural cost um, in that, uh, uh, you know, people, people want, you know, I think they value action. And they, so they want to see the action. And when it doesn't happen, it, it's kind of a shaking of the head, I guess. Well, you're, you're spot on with that. There's definitely a morale impact if there's a frustration that builds over seeing this bad information or poor decisions not play out. And we're in this really unprecedented time when so many people are making personal choices about leaving organizations going on to try something else. They call it the great resignation, a lot of media coverage, all that. I would think that this plays right into that. It does. And, and I think, you know, in one regard that the, um, just the ability to do, uh, or work on a winning team uh, and, and how that data is, is used on a day-to-day basis, I think it does impact uh, a lot of different people. I know, for example, um, on my team, uh, we have different uh, age ranges for our staff and they, they embrace and they use data differently in each one. And I think for uh, a leader and a manager is that, you know, we need to listen to what, other generational groups are thinking about or how they're looking at the data, because I think it does, it does have an impact. And I think, you know, a lot of, um, you know, uh, newer staff and newer team members, um, they're a lot, they embrace data a lot differently than, than maybe you and I would. Um, and, and their comfort with it is a little bit different, certainly. And I think that those, um, those opinions and those thoughts and those, they they need to be included in, uh, in, in the decision-making process more. That's an excellent point. And as more and more companies are committed to this idea of diversity, equity, inclusion, one of the aspects of that is this diversification of the teams in terms of um, having people that are just starting out in their careers, working side by side with more mature, experienced. And But you've got different generational perspectives, right? And probably skill sets too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I'll I'll use this quick example is that there, um, I, 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 we recently hired a a new marketing manager, um, and her interpretation of our social media analytics was so fresh and so new that it did help us rethink, um, some of the marketing messages that we were using. And, and so again, um, with the level of comfort in, in, 
not only the data itself, but also interpreting the data, um, there are going to be surprises. And I think we oftentimes, as, as leaders and managers, are trying to reduce risk so much that we don't want to have or don't want to have discussions around that variability. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's shift gears over to the fact that you have worked, obviously, with many, many successful leaders in, in different kinds of businesses. And so you've seen leadership at work. What do you think separates truly exceptional leadership from just good enough? That's a great question. Um, I really think it comes down to three particular factors. Um, number one is the ability to listen and to really ask good probing questions back as an active listening uh, exercise. I think that oftentimes we're in such a rush to, to get to a decision that, that we miss the listening part. We're hearing what's being said, but we don't listen to it. Um, the second is to just be as clear as possible about almost every communication that you have, um, you know, whether it's around a strategy or objective or, or things along those lines, so that, that you can create the context where people will then make decision about whether they whether or not they want to buy into what uh, what you're in the midst of. Um, and then really third is just that that constant learning, quite frankly, um, and and being uh, able to adapt your learning style to the pieces of information and the pieces of data that you're getting. Um, you know, and that's the, the one area I see today, especially in um, you know, organizations that that are really, really embracing and, and relying on data um, is that ability to be flexible and ability, like you say, to admit that I don't have all the pieces of data, but I've got enough to make a decision. Um, and, and I think that's the thing is that there's so much learning that's going on right now on the fly um, that we, we can't rely on what we have done for the last five or 10 years. It's, it's almost got to be um, you know, a, different, uh, a different flexibility and a different capability quite frankly. So those are the three things that I see that, that, you know, leaders are really starting to, to, mm -hmm. to separate themselves out within organizations and within, within various uh, groups. Well, if there's anything that we've learned in the last two years is how important it is to be flexible. And yes. well, we're, we're, we're seeing it right before our eyes. It's, True. it's playing out uh, in all aspects of our life. So you give a lot of advice, Peter. But I want to flip that around and ask you, what's the best piece of business advice you have received? Uh, it's a great question. Um, and this was, uh, I, I got this very, very early in my career. And it was um, from a mentor who uh, I had begun to work with. And he said to me, if you dig a hole and you're at the bottom of the hole and you reemerge back to the, where you had started to dig the hole, you haven't made any progress at all. And I think oftentimes as, as a leader, you know, we get into a situation, we solve a problem, but then we don't realize that we just came back to the same spot where, where the problem started and we haven't made any advances. Um, so as I've been you know, through my career and, and even, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the different organizations that I've had, I've, I've asked myself, am I digging my own hole and then emerging and, and really not making any progress or am I mountain climbing and actually getting, getting ahead? Um, but that was that 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 piece of advice has stuck with me for well uh, almost thirty plus years now. Well, I think the movie that comes to mind is Groundhog Day. I think yeah. we've all lived <laughs> we've lived through that at various points of our uh, business and personal life. That's for sure. Yes, well, absolutely. 
Yeah, well, there is so much uh, going on. We've got uh, disrupted markets, dynamic, high change, as you said, adaptability, flexibility. But when you think about the future, what makes you optimistic? Um, Two things really make me optimistic. Number one is that we have so much information available to us that I think better decisions are are, the, are ultimately going to be the outcome of that. Um, I notice how my kids who are, you know, ranging from 16 to 27, how they embrace data and how they look at things and all the different information pieces. Um, so I think that, that there's ultimately going to be a lot better um, decision-making, you know, down the road. I think we're still kind of sorting out how to use different pieces of information to make better decisions. The other thing I'm hopeful about is that there is a um, uh, a comfort level with data today, and I know that's going to continue to grow, that I think will lead to better breakthroughs in all different types of organizations and all different types of issues that that are have been plaguing us for a while and and whether you know whether it's climate change or something along you know uh, or economic change or things that that the power of this data is really beginning to uh, create longer term solutions and that's that's hopeful for for me is that we're finally starting to harness some of that in a way in a positive way to make some positive changes and uh, and I think that will that that's going to continue to grow. I know um, when I worked at Gallup, we I, I helped on a, um, one of the first books that they came out with was First Break All the Rules. And that even 10 years ago, the uh, amount of research on neuroscience alone, and just in the last decade, has basically been um, as much as had the last 200 years. So, you know, we're, we're now getting more focused and we're learning more about how to tap into and, and really look at things differently. And that's that's very helpful for me. Uh, it's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And it's really that acceleration of learning. We're seeing it in medical sciences, certainly. Absolutely. Uh, years and just new possibilities. That's really exciting. So as we start wrapping up the conversation, Peter, do you have any other final advice for business leaders that are looking to make the best data-informed decisions in supporting long-term growth? Yeah. Uh, one thing would be uh, start asking better questions. Um, and, and I'm, I mean more both in a research way, but also in a, in a data consumption way. Um, because oftentimes if you ask a question that's a binary, meaning a yes, no, um, it's not, it may, it may give you the immediate result, but it might not give you the, the implications of what, and in the context of what you need to do. So one would be to ask better questions. Um, the second is that if, you haven't taken any uh, classes on new ways to look at data, you know, whether it's through Coursera or, an, or another online, you know, LinkedIn, um, whatever it would be, you know, take the time hour a week or whatever it would be to start just familiarizing yourself with some of these concepts and some of what is being done. Um, you know, and I mentioned artificial intelligence Um a couple of minutes ago, um, you, I mean, every day it seems like something new is evolving there, and and you know it's off to a fast start, but it's also off to a slow start because there, well, you know, there was there were a lot of expectations about it that haven't you know happened yet. Um, but again, this kind of data science is starting to reveal itself in very very interesting ways, and 
that if you're familiar with it, I think you can make better decisions off of it. Um, and, and finally, is just really be more open to learning about how data is being used and, and even simple data um, in, in, in creating behavioral change. Um, you know, for example, my kids were, uh, they, they often talk about um, their, the, on one of their apps, just how much time a week they're spending on it and how they would modify their behavior about it. And because of that, um, you know, they're cutting back on X or increasing Y. So I think that it is, we become more open to hearing some of those data points and really um, it, it does change our behavior. And that I think is a positive. Yeah, you were hitting on something there with your kids. It's like a self-awareness, right? That you're in touch with yourself. And then how do you translate that into kind of, rather than just kind of getting in a rut, but you're you're actually improving yeah, and you're getting better. Exactly. And, and, and you know, I, um, all I, this is a very simple example, I think that everybody can understand, is that, you know, there with so many apps that measure how many steps you take, what your heart rate is, all these different, and like you mentioned, medical science is making some evolutionary uh, conclusions, but um, you know, even as something as simple as, Hey, I'm going to walk 10,000 steps a day. And I hear that from a lot of my friends, um, you know, that's a metric that it, it, nobody really thinks about, but it is changing behavior because now you've set a goal for yourself. You're starting to achieve this. It's better fitness. So even in the, that's, that's such a little example, but it is a, a powerful example of how data is changing people's behavior. Absolutely. Well, Peter, thanks again for joining and sharing your experience and your optimism for how we can make better data-informed decisions and get better return on our investment and avoid those negative consequences. Very true. Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for having me on. And a reminder to continue to please give us the gift of feedback on this podcast. Uh, Tell us what you like about it. It's really easy to do. Go out and rate and review on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.